Let's pray. Father, as we do uh, study your word today, God, and as we look at uh, just the, the idea of how powerful and how effective your word is, I pray that, Lord, as we read this, we, we wouldn't just read and, and agree and think that's, a good, that's good the way it's said, the way it's put, but, Lord, I do pray that everything that's explained here in the first couple of verses would be true in our lives. That your word would take a hold of us and change us and mold us and shape us. And God, I know, again, we're coming from a lot of different places just like these people were. And Lord, I know that it doesn't matter where we're coming from, your word is still powerful and effective. So just, God, work in our lives. We want to give you this time, clean out any of the junk that might hinder us from, from uh, hearing you and interacting with you. And Lord, make this so real to us this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a couple things before we get started. One is, uh, if we remember from chapter 3 till now, there's two themes that the author of Hebrews has been stressing. One is, enter his rest. Get to that place of rest. And that's going to continue. He's going to tell us in some ways how. And then the other theme is today. Not tomorrow, not next week. But now, there's a sense of urgency that this author has. So listen, I think as we look at today, we're going to talk in the beginning about the Word of God and how powerful the Word of God is. And my prayer is, again, that we would leave here today not just convinced of that truth, but we would leave here today living that truth. This week, I watched a, 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 a YouTube video with Pastor Jack Hibbs from Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and, and he had... Amir, who's a guide from Mexico, from Mexico, I think he's from Israel, but anyway, he's one of the guides from Israel. He might guide Mexico, I don't know, but I know he does Israel, and, and Amir has been uh, doing guiding for a long time, and him and Jack are friends. Anyway, they're having this discussion. It's a great thing. If you think, if you, if you want to watch it and try and understand what's going on in the Middle East right now, it's a good, good watch to get some understanding, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to just promote that. Jack said something really interesting. He said that there are a lot of media people and people in general that are really angry with some of President Trump's cabinet. And they're angry for this reason. They have a Bible on their desk. And here's what they say. Here's what they say. We don't like them because that book is going to influence our decision-making. Hallelujah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's always interesting to me when they, when they say things that are true and don't know they're saying things that are true, and they're like validating everything we believe. But isn't that interesting? Listen, our media and our world will accept some people who are in Congress who are following the Quran and want to make Sharia law, and they say, that's okay, but this guy can't have a Bible on his desk. God forbid. Well, today we're going to learn partially why that's so true. The Bible should influence our decision-making, shouldn't it? It should be the thing that affects us. And, and, you know, I don't know anybody who's ever made really bad decisions by following the Bible. You know, you kind of go, wow, why would you be against that? So 
today, the author of, of Hebrews is telling you and I that we need to understand something. This thing we call the Bible isn't just a book. It's God's word given to us. And God's word will be effective in our lives if we open ourselves up and yield to him. Now, I like to emphasize this point because this thing we call the Bible a book isn't a book, it's 66 books. It's 66 books put together in one binding, and we will often refer to it as a book, but it's 66 books. And, uh, you know, I, I always want to tell people, listen, it's unique because it's 66 different books written over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages by over, I think it's 40 different authors. And they agree Take a science book from 20, you know, from the year 2000 and compare it to a science book written now. Wildly different. And so, listen, this is unique. So, he's letting us know today is the time. I want you to enter that rest. Well, how do we get there? I think a lot of people are like, man, yeah, I want to go into the land of Canaan, right? He's using that illustration. So many didn't go in. How do I enter that rest? Well, it's pretty simple. You believe God and you trust God. And so here's what he says. Look at, look at verse uh, 12. He says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged uh, two sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intentions or intents of the heart. So listen, he puts that out there. Now, that is powerful, now, he is drawing a conclusion because he starts us with four, right? He's been telling us stuff. He says, enter his rest. Why do I enter his rest and how do I do that? Because the word of God can work effectively in your life. You simply have to trust it. And once again, can we trust this? I don't know why you wouldn't trust this. I don't know why you would look at the word of God and this thing we call the Bible and not trust it. But here's what I do know. You can't trust something you don't know. So you've got to get involved in it. And here's what else I know. If you, if you don't trust something, you're not going to follow it. You're not going to do that thing. So listen what he's saying. You and I need to know something. This thing we call the word of God, I, I you know, it's, it's weird. Like in my mind even right now, I, for years, I taught from the New International Version. When I was first saved, I memorized all my scripture in the New International Version. Then I switched to the New King James, which is not always a good thing, switching versions. And so I switched, and then, and then now I have all of my memory verses that I memorized in the N-I-J-K, you know, kind of mess. And so when I do it, it like comes half NIV and half New King James, and it comes out of my head that way. So if some of you are going to say, dude, you so misquoted that, it's okay. It's all right. Got to understand. So listen, as he's talking about this, I, I love this verse because here's what he's saying. The word of God, which we talked about enough about, this is the word of God. But then he says this, it's living. It's alive. It's not dead. You're not just reading 
saints, you're not just reading words on a page. You're reading the intense and the heart of God speaking to you, directly to you, for your benefit, for your change, for working in you. It's alive. It always blows my mind when I teach and people will go out and say, man, that's exactly what I was struggling with. How did you know? Duh. It's the Holy Spirit applying the word of God to your life. And it's the word of God. Hey, the word of God works in our lives and I don't care where you're coming from. You know, I don't care, I don't care if you're as low, as low, as low. I don't care if you got kicked in the gut this week, so, you know, talking about emotionally and, and you got blindsided. I don't care if you're there or if you're on the greatest spiritual high you've ever been. The word of God, this thing that we're reading will affect your life. Doesn't matter, but you gotta trust it. So it is living, and then he says in, in uh, the New King James, uh, you know, the NIV says effective, but it's, it's living and powerful. Hallelujah, huh? I know in my own life, when I neglect reading the word, and some of you go, seriously? Like you're our pastor, you can't do that. I'm not talking about neglecting studying and preparing for a teaching, I'm talking about personal reading the word. When I neglect that, my life gets a little chaotic. I get into word, it's powerful in my life. The word of God changed me because again, it's him and his Holy Spirit working in us. And I don't think there's anything in our universe that is as powerful as God's word. Once again, you know, I celebrate the fact that there are men in charge of our country who have their Bibles on their desk. I think that's phenomenal. We went to, I, I've shared before, when I went to uh, uh, New York for the six month anniversary of 9-11 and, and we were interacting with some people and, and uh, we were supposed to be helping them with some financial stuff and they told us that we could not bring up God unless the people brought up God, which makes sense. And so we all took our Bibles out and put them right in front. So when those people sat down, the first thing they saw was the Bible, and then they would say, oh, is that the Bible? I'm glad you brought God up. <laughs> now we can talk about it. So listen, but it is powerful. And so then he says something, you know, hey, he says, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. So bottom line, listen, he was, using, he was using a metaphor or whatever of the sharpest instrument they had. He wasn't talking about a big old honking sword you take into battle. He's talking about even later on as we're reading Ephesians when he says the word of the God is the sword of the spirit, right? He's not talking about whoosh, whoosh. He's talking about that dagger. So when you get close to somebody, you just go, Ugh! you know, Hi. But it's real sharp. Listen, it doesn't take a lot of pressure. It just, and so he's talking about an instrument that is sharpest instrument they knew. Today we might change this into saying it's sharper than any scalpel. I think that's the sharpest instruments we know. So listen, here's what he's saying. It's sharper than anything. And by that, here's what he's meaning. Not necessarily that if you pick this up, you're going to get cut physically, but you will get cut spiritually. And that's important. If we want to grow, we got to get some stuff taken care of, period. 
And if we want to keep growing, we got to get stuff taken care of. Listen, there's nobody in here, and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes, but there's nobody in here that's reached perfection and the place where they don't need some work in their lives. And again, once again, I don't know what's going on in your homes. I just know people. So we all need work. So don't think, well, yeah, that's for the younger Christians. No, we all need that cutting at times and that surgery. So he's saying, listen, man, he's saying this is sharper than anything, even able to divide between the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow or the bone and the marrow. And again, here's what he's talking about. He's not trying to teach, and we'll get back to this, but he's not trying to teach on the dichotomy of man or the trichotomy of man, and I'll explain that in a moment. He's trying to say this instrument's so sharp, it can divide things that man cannot divide. You can't divide bone and marrow. It's one. Your bone makes marrow. And, and we need to know that. And, and so here's what he's saying. It's so sharp that it can even do that. And the fact that it can divide. Now, I always take this part, dividing between the soul and the spirit this way. And again, some people teach, and some people use this, to teach that we are three parts, trichotomy. That we're body. Most of us understand we have a body, right? You guys agree? Yeah. It, your head works like this. So we have this body, I, I like to call this our earth suit, right? We have this to function on this planet, to get around, to, this is how we function here, so we have this on. There's someday when we'll shed this earth suit and, and we won't need it anymore, but I, we have a body, and then there's this big argument, do we have a soul and a spirit, or are soul and spirit interchangeable in the same thing? And you can read, you can read volumes on this, I don't care. You know, that's just the way I am. When, when people want to sit and argue, well, I think, and I think, and I'm going, I don't really care. You know, if you want to say that our soul and our spirit are the same thing, go for it. I really don't care. If you want to say that our soul and our spirit are separate, I think, good. Now, I, I do have a little bit of belief on that, and especially here, when he says it's able to divide between the soul and the spirit, here's what I, I, I believe he's saying. A lot of people who say we're trichotomy say our soul is our emotional, our will, our mental, that part of us. The spirit is the part that relates to God, and we have that, and that's what was dead and was brought to life when we got born again. So, you know, I understand that, but when he says it's able to divide, I have people come to me at times, and they're trying to choose good or gooder, we might say, right? They're trying to make a decision. Here's what I believe God wants me to do. How can I tell, and I think this is legitimate, how can I tell if it's just me desiring that, my soul, or if it's God directing me? How can I make that division? Well, you can't but the word of God can. And that's what I love. You see, I tell people, get in your word. Well, can you read it to me? No, get in your word, let the Lord speak to your heart, and he will direct you. I promise, man, when people ask me stuff like that, they go, I don't know if he'll tell me. Really, you don't think he likes you? You don't think he wants, you, you think God is trying to keep something from you? That's silly. So get in the word, and the word of God is able to divide for you. Hey, that's just you wanting to do something, or that's me directing you. And he can divide that where we can't. We don't know that. And by the way, 
My Bible does say someplace in the Old Testament, in one of the prophets, his name starts with a J. So read all the prophets that start with a J. Someplace in there he says, my heart's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And whenever I get into things, man, when people go, oh, you have such a good heart, I go, oh, you're such a liar. <laughs> it's not what the Bible says. So listen, man, it can do that. And then, I love this, it's a discerner at the end of this. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Or we could put it this way, it's a critic. And we're getting back to that same idea. The word of God can make your thinking right and correct versus you just going off on your own. So here's what I get from verse 14. We desperately need God's word. We need God's word to direct us, to guide us. We need God's word to confirm things in our life. We need God's word to go forward. And once again, you're only gonna trust his word as much as you know it. If you don't spend time in his word, you're gonna be casual about it. You're not gonna trust it, why? Well, because I don't know it that well and I really don't know what it says and I don't even know what you're talking about, these prophets that start with J. I'm not sure what that's all about and, and so we don't know and so you're not trusting it. Saints, get in the word and allow the word of God to do that work in your life. I, I, again, I think of that surgical work I'm glad that surgeons have really sharp, sharp tools to do the work they do to divide what they need to divide. So he says also it's that discerner of the heart. Now, here's where it gets a little bit like some people go, I don't know if I like this. Look at verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Oh, oh, Pat, I thought you said that there's no judgment. Like, you know, I, 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 I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and, and I, thought, I thought we, I thought we're not supposed to do this. I don't like this giving an account. What do I have to give an account for? I don't like that part. And I don't even like the part that nothing's hidden from him and, and that, you know, all things are naked and bare. You know who knows you better than anyone? God. God knows you better than you know you. You think you know you, but God really knows you. And now we're back to the word because if you get into the word, the word's gonna reveal things to you that you haven't even thought of and it's gonna make you wanna change and get those things in right order. And hey, you're gonna be like you're naked before God and that's a good thing. You're laid open, you're there. And then when he says you're naked and open, here's an interesting thing, that word translated open and it's translated open in every version, and I don't quite get it because it comes from original, the original Greek word is used in two different ways, and both ways are not good. One of the ways is wrestlers back in the day, the original MMA fighters, they would get in and they would grab their opponent by the neck. They would just shoot and launch on and grab them in such a hold that they couldn't move. And they have them like this, and they're eye to eye, and he can't move. That's kind of interesting thinking, huh? Eye to eye, you can't dodge me. And I don't know if they'd choke him out or tap out or whatever, but it was that, or how about this one? Or the other way they would use it is, if a person was condemned, and they were gonna be taken and, and uh, executed, 
they would tie a dagger or fix a dagger under their chin like this with the point right here. So they couldn't look down, so they had to look everybody in the eye. As they're walking through, they had to do that. You look down, well, maybe that might be good because then you don't get executed. You can just get off right away. But it chooses that way. So now here's, what, here's the way I interpret it. You're naked and eye-to-eye contact with the Lord. Eye-to-eye contact is, it's tough when you're trying to lie, isn't it? My mama, my mom used to do this. She would say, Patrick, Look me in the eyes. And I could never lie to my mom, ever. She would just do that. Look, all she said, did was say it. Look me in the eyes. Okay, mom, I'm lying. I was just like, I'm coming clean right now. Now my wife, she didn't say Patrick hardly ever, but she'll say, Pat, look me in the eyes right now. Look me in the eyes and tell me. And it might even be some fun things, like, you know, did you, did you get me anything? No, look me in the eyes and say that. See, so you can't do that. So listen, but isn't it true? It's, it's tough to lie eye to eye. Some, some people are good at it. Some of you have practiced really hard, and you can do it. But listen, it's that whole, here's what he's saying. You're open, you're open as far as being naked, and you're eye to eye contact with the Lord. That's gonna happen. And when people get freaked out about judgment, listen, we are not gonna be judged for our sins if they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why I tell people to keep a short account. Hmm? Those sins that are under the blood are under the blood. But we are gonna be, and some people, I I like it this way, Some some people call it the judgment seat of Christ. We could call it the reward seat of Christ. It's not so much a judgment that we're talking about. We're gonna have to give an account for what we've done. And we're gonna get rewards for what we've done in this life with what he's given us. So it's not so much of a condemnation, it's more of a reward ceremony. But man, if you just get the participation trophy, you're not gonna be real happy. Like you're gonna be going away from the the judgment seat of Christ, yee! And people are gonna go, dude, everybody gets one of those. (laughs) All, everybody. So we're going to give that account. Now, as scary as that might seem, here's where it gets good. I love the author of Hebrews. He kind of lays that out, and some people are like, <gasps> and then I love it. Last night I brought up, I love it. Like, when I was first saved, people told me when you go to heaven and you go to this account with Christ, your whole life, a video of your whole life is gonna be played in front of everybody. That stinks. Like, that's, that's not heaven to me, right? It's like, I don't want to watch it. I don't want anybody else watching it. So that's bogus. And so last night, somebody handed me a Chick track. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Jack Chick. He wrote tracks. He's anti just about everything but Jesus. And so the Chick track, they go, open it up and read it. And I'm thinking, why are you handing me a track? I'm your pastor. Why are you telling me to read this thing? And I open it up and it said, there will be a video of your life when you come to. So, so I said, yeah, that's why I don't like Jack Chick. But listen, we give an account, but it can be good. But listen, here's, here's where it gets good. Look at verse 14. Seeing, so Pretend there's not a big division, right? Like my Bible has big headline, like we're changing topics, we're changing everything, we're not. We just talked about we're all gonna give an account. Now listen to what he says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Here's what he's saying. Yes, that's coming, but we have a great high priest. We don't just have a high priest. We have a great high priest. Now, for the Hebrew Christians, this meant a lot more. In our day, not many of us came out of Judaism, right? And, and we're not carrying that baggage and we're not bringing that baggage in. But for them, remember, remember what the duty of the high priest was. The duty of the high priest was to represent the people to God. And he would go and make atonement for sin, right? Once a year, he would go into that place. And hey, some of them loved their high priest. Some of the high priests were real corrupt, etc. Here's what he says. You and I, we have a great high priest. We don't just have a high priest. We have a great high priest. Now, he's been leading up to this in chapter 2. He gave us a little bit of hint about the high priest. In chapter three, he gave us a couple more little tidbits about a high priest. Now here's what he's saying. We have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens. When, when, listen, whenever the Bible talks about plural heavens, it's not talking about the false doctrine of Mormonism that says there's different levels of heaven you go to. It's not that. When he talks about going through the heavens, he's talking about, again, the, the different I guess, uh, places. For instance, we have our atmosphere, heaven, right? We look up, we see clouds. That's where clouds live. That's where airplanes fly. That's where things do. That's our atmospheric. That's, and when we look up, we call that heaven, right? The clouds are in heaven. And then the next one is, you know, the planetary heaven where all the planets live in the, in the Milky Way and the universes upon universes. That's the next one. Then the last heaven is where God resides. So when he's saying heavens, he's Pass through all of those. And Jesus went through those, and he went to the top. Now, here's what I love. He says, we have this great, great high priest who passed through the heavens, who is Jesus giving us his humanity. Do you know that Jesus has not been Jesus for all of eternity? He only became Jesus when he took on human flesh. Before that, I don't know, I don't know that the Trinity had names for each other. I don't know if they just said, hey, you, or what's going on, but for all of eternity, listen, he wasn't Jesus. Jesus defines his humanity, but then he says, the son of God, giving us his deity, and then here's, here's, a, here's a, the, 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 the kicker here. He says, let us hold fast to our confession. He doesn't mean confession like I confess my sins. He means our confession that we're proclaiming trust in Jesus Christ. So yes, we're going to go to verse 13, but in that, hallelujah, we have a great high priest who's on our side. That's a good thing, right? He's on our side, so let us hold fast. Here's what he's saying, guys, don't give up. Don't fall back into Judaism. Stay strong, hold fast to your confession, and then it gets better. Each one of these verses, man, they get better and better and better. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Woo! You see, the Greeks felt that God had no emotion, no compassion, nothing. If they, if they even worshiped a God. The God was far removed from people. Even the Jews had this idea that, and think about it, if you were a Jew and you sinned, what did you have to do? 
You had to bring a bull. You had to execute the bull. You had to go through that whole thing. Some of us, myself included, there's not enough bulls in Arizona to take care of my sins. Whenever I think about that, I think, man, those guys must have had huge herds or they didn't confess all their sins. I don't know. But, But listen, you had this whole thing where you had to do this animal sacrifice and and wouldn't that make you feel like God's a little bit distant and then one time a year the high priest on Yom Kippur right the day of atonement one time a year he would take that blood and here's an interesting thing when we talk about where Jesus went through three heavens here's an interesting thing he would take that blood and he would go into the court of the Jews or the court of the priests then he would walk into the holy place. And then he would go into the holy of holies. Kind of interesting, huh? He had, to, he had to go through three areas. But he would take that in there and he would make atonement for the people. Now, here's the interesting thing. They were so afraid of the holiness of God that they tied a rope on that guy. And as he would go in there, and he had bells on the bottom of his little robe, so it would ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding. And if it went ding-a-ding, then they would think he croaked because he was in the presence of God. So they had that rope because they couldn't go in there because that was the Holy of Holies and they would pull him out. Now, all of that I'm saying because think of, think of how you would feel about God from that picture. And then here's what he says. We have this high priest. He's not just a great high priest, although he is a great high priest. He's a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. If you're a Bible highlighter, marker, circler, circle that and make this point because this is extremely important. He doesn't sympathize with our sin because sin is sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's extremely important. And he, why why does he sympathize with our weaknesses? Because he's been tested, right? He sympathizes with our weakness because he's been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin in all points as we are. Now, people often say, how could he, was Jesus tempted to speed? Oh, duh. You know, when people do stuff like that, I just want to pull my hair out. I don't know if they had speed limits for camels or donkeys or whatever, but come on. He's talking about, he's talking about he can relate to everything we're going through because of the things he's gone through. And here's the thing, people then get into the whole debate, could have Jesus sinned, could have he not, you know, da, da, da. And again, some of that is just like silliness and distracting and get you off a track. If Jesus was tempted and never sinned, do you understand how great the temptation must have been? You see, if you're gonna tempt somebody who's gonna sin, you don't have to go very far. But if you're gonna tempt somebody who's gonna say nope, 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 you gotta throw everything you've got at them. And you gotta bring out the big guns. And trust me, Jesus was tempted a bazillion times more than you will ever be tempted to sin. And you need to understand, and yet he was without sin. Now he can look at you and he can say, I understand. Once again, it doesn't have to be the specific temptation, 
I look at it this way. It's kind of temptation in general. Some people, some people talk about 1 John, and you can read that for homework. In 1 John, I didn't even put a chapter up there. Short book. In 1 John, what does he say? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the downfalls. So we can even just categorize it in that. But bottom line, man, we need to understand he didn't sin. And then here's what I love. That word for sympathize, Here's what, here's what I, was, I was reading about it, and it kind of intrigued me, so we did, a, we did a demonstration up here last night with the worship team. That word sympathize, if you take a guitar and you put it by another guitar and you hit a certain note, the one guitar will affect the other guitar and that string will start to move. It's called sympathetic resonance. And now listen, there's... there's a lot of physics going on. People go, well, that's about, I don't care about physics. Here's what I love the idea. Listen, that string went off because of this string. Listen carefully. When you're tempted, it resonates in the heart of Jesus. And he has that same sympathy towards you. He doesn't have to do it. He's got, are you, are you with me? Is that good? That's a great illustration, isn't it? The minute it goes, comes to you, it's resonating with him, and he knows, and he's sympathetic, and he's on our side. Now, the best part, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Woo, hallelujah, huh? Now, what cracks me up is you read this in the Brainiacs. The Brainiac people go, well, you know, boldly is kind of a strong word, and I think that might be a little bit arrogant, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, well, why, why do you ruin something for me? Like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, yes! And then I read a commentary, and I go, oh. Listen, we can go boldly to the throne. Listen, man, we can barge. We don't have to have the blood of bulls and goats, he's going to tell us later. We just go in there. Now, listen, not disrespectfully. He's talking about confidence, we can have confidence before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done. And I love the idea, listen, we're not gonna go to that mercy seat that was behind the, the curtain that was over the Ark of the Covenant. We're gonna go where? To the throne of grace, hallelujah. Listen, man, the throne of grace to me is everything. And we go to the throne of grace and he says, listen, that we may obtain mercy. In other words, that we may obtain and not get what we deserve, right? And then he says, and grace, so we can get what we don't deserve. How good is that? And we can come before God and some people like, some people read this section and they go like this. <gasps> That's nice. Seriously? Like, you're not excited about, you're not excited about going before the throne of grace. You're not excited about just confidently coming into the presence of God. That had to blow these guys. Remember who he's writing to? He's writing to Hebrew Christians. Their little minds had the emoji, right? And they sent that to everybody as a text. And it should blow our minds, but we can't become casual about it. All you have to do to come into the presence of God is bow your heart. God, here I am. He will never tell you, I'm busy. He will never tell you, I don't care. He will never tell you, I just can't relate to what you're going through, I'm sorry. Man, that is powerful and effective. 
And here's what I know. When I do confess my sin before God, I am free. I am free. The blood of Jesus covers it. You know what? I have never confessed to God and him like tell me, wow, that's going to be a tough one. Not sure we can cover that one, Pat. No, God is always forgiving and cleanses us. The problem is we carry it around and we say silly things like, well, it was a mistake. No, it was sin. Well, no, I did. I didn't really mean to do it. Yes, you did or you wouldn't have done it. Well, and we go, well, make all these excuses. Just come clean before God. Get naked. Now, I'm not suggesting you get naked when you pray. Well, that might help some of you. I don't know. <laughs> do whatever you need to do. But come clean because it will free you because, listen carefully, you're at the throne of grace. And at the throne of grace, you obtain mercy and grace. Hallelujah. And all of that is because we have a great high priest. Wow. Saints, I don't think it gets better than that. Now, you're only gonna trust the great high priest if you read his word. And if you read his word, it's gonna cut deep. And you gotta go through that. If you don't go through that, you're gonna be a casual Christian. And you're gonna be somebody you're not gonna grow. You're gonna be, go through this life, you're not gonna be content, you're not gonna be happy, you're gonna be in that place and you're gonna look like you got baptized in lemon juice and you're just gonna go around, you're gonna be angry, you're gonna be upset at times and then you're gonna try and tell people about Jesus and they're gonna go, I don't wanna want hear from you. But if you have that confidence, if you're before him and you know, you know that your God died for your sins, that he loves you, that he's just waiting for you, Man, you're gonna have that joy and that hope and you're gonna tell people about that and they're gonna go, huh, could you tell me a little bit more? Well, they may reject you, that's okay. But generally, you're gonna, I wanna know more. So saints, I wanna be a Christian that I trust the word of God. And I trust it so much, I'm gonna let it cut me. And I'm gonna let it do what it needs to do. And then I'm going to let it influence my decision-making. Because if it doesn't, I make really bad decisions. So let's do that. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your, your amazing grace in our lives as we read this. We thank you, God, that you, in your power, have taken us, just as we sang this morning, have taken us out of the pit of despair, so to speak, and placed our feet upon a rock. And I thank you for what we've read this morning that, Lord, you didn't, you didn't just die on a cross and leave us and hope that we would believe that, hope that we would somehow hear about that, but you gave us this saying we call the Bible, that we can trust and believe and we can read and then we can learn, Lord, the more we know it, the more we can trust. And the more we trust, the more it's gonna influence how we act. We will only act on the things that we trust. And so God, I pray, I pray that would become real and that we would know for sure 
not just from reading a verse, we would know in our hearts that we have a great high priest and that we would have that confidence before our God. Lord, thank you, thank you for this thing we call salvation. And I'm gonna ask everyone to stay in an attitude of prayer for another couple moments. And if you are here today and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never put faith in Jesus and asked him to forgive your sins, man, as we opened up, today is the day to do it. There's an urgency. You can't just put it off till later and, 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 and say some other time, but today, now you need to do it. So I'm going to just encourage you, lead you in a prayer, and the prayer starts with, and this is a hard part for a lot of people, the prayer starts with, you have to tell God that you know you're a sinner. You're not telling him that you know you're a sinner so he will know, you're telling him that you know you're a sinner so you know, so you understand. And that shouldn't be hard because I believe anybody who's alive knows they've sinned. And if you don't, here's a Bible verse, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every person in here has sinned. That's what the word says. The wages of sin is separation from God. When you sin, you earn for yourself the wrath of God because you've offended a holy God. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, took that wrath upon himself, and he suffered that wrath so you don't have to. And now today he holds out to you this receipt that says paid in full. And all you have to do is take it. And the way you take it is you say this prayer. You call on his name. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. But you got to be sincere. It's got to come from your heart. If you're watching online at home, you can say this prayer wherever you are. You might be in your car. You, you, can, you can say this prayer. If you're backslidden today, come home. Come back to Jesus. I don't think there's anybody more miserable than a Christian who's backslidden. It's time to come home. Get out of that misery and come back to him. So again, you can say this out loud or silently. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God, a holy and righteous God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.